Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. This is Jean, and tonight our topic is Sober on Stage. Now, many of us share a common fear of standing before an audience, and whether it's to give a wedding toast or a sales pitch or even a musical performance, alcohol is a frequently recommended cure for the jitters. Does sobriety make taking center stage harder or easier? Are we doomed to sweat and stammer without the use of liquid courage? Uh, must we always stay out of the limelight, or does sobriety make us perform better in other ways? Well, tonight we're going to discuss our experiences in front of an audience, both before and after recovery. And what about professional musicians who play in bars? What is that like in sobriety? First, let's say hello to Bubble Hour co-hosts Amanda and Catherine, both of whom do a lot of public speaking in their work. Good evening, ladies. Hey, Jean. Hi, Jean. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Amanda. And also Hi, on the line you? tonight, oh, I'm good. It's good to talk to you guys. You know, we we, we yes. only get to talk once a week, so this is our this is our chat time. So it's always makes me happy to hear your voices. Mm. Um, we also have joining us tonight a male voice, a very deep, resonating male voice. We are all admiring <laughs> him as we got on the line tonight. <laughs> a special guest. Uh, he was with us previously on our Freedom episode back in June. And that conversation sparked the idea for this topic. So please welcome back professional musician and sober rock star, Scott M. Hi, Scott. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hey, I'm sorry. Hey, everybody. There's that voice. It actually does take a little laugh. <laughs> Thanks for that practice. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, we're very glad to have you. And we know you've got lots of good stories to share with our listeners tonight. And really, between the four of us, I was sort of counting up our accolades. So we have three podcast hosts, two musicians, two TEDx alumni, several business presenters, and no doubt more than a few drunken karaoke experiences in our past. So it's safe to say that between the four of us, none of us are strangers to the microphone. So what we want to talk about tonight is how different that experience is before and after sobriety. And if we relied on alcohol to calm our nerves what we have learned to uh, lean on instead. So first of all, uh, Scott, we want our listeners to get to know you a little bit. So tell us a bit about yourself and your life in recovery. Sure. Uh, I have over two years of uh, being alcohol-free, and uh, it was something I had to do because I was, I guess I am an alcoholic, and um, it was affecting my life, and uh I was a pretty heavy drinker, uh, the kind of drinker who wouldn't, I wouldn't drink uh, before work, but when I got home would start having uh, hard alcohol pretty much until I numbed myself. And uh, and for me, I, I didn't have any, blessed blessedly, any really heavy-duty rock bottoms, um, but I just had that slow 
the dead rock bottom of many years of not accomplishing any goals or really doing anything and being, you know, not present with the kids I was, uh, you know, bringing into the world. And so it was a pretty, you know, a, a very, very darkened version of, of my potential. And uh, so thank goodness after many attempts of, uh, you know, a few months here and there, I was finally able to uh, give it up uh, about two years ago. And having to do with performance, uh, music has always been one of my passions and I've performed for my whole life on stage in, in, in plays and I'm a very extroverted person. Uh, and actually also was a teacher for most of my jobs. So I would always be performing throughout my job uh, as well. Um, but the performances that I had a passion with, which is the music that I would write and stuff like that, that all disappeared um, in my alcoholism. And it went from, you know, having bands and stuff like that to then having some here one one off shows and subtle little things to really not playing for years live. And it's funny because that playing music live is absolutely one of the most important and happy and spiritual things that I do in, in the planet. And uh, that was just, a, it's profound to me to think now looking back that I went years without doing something that I almost feel like I'm supposed to be doing on this, you know, on this planet. So, uh, luckily after I, and I, I had blamed, you know, having kids partially on putting the ax down, the ax being the guitar. Um, but what ended up happening was when I got sober, uh, sure enough, I was able to book, book a gig. And, uh, so that's kind of where, where I am right now, actually, is going from having not really being able to play and almost forgetting how to play and we can get into that stuff later like the technical stuff and if it's about performance in any art you know being able to actually perform at your highest capability was a big part of it for me but now I have um, I have seven gigs coming up with three different acts uh, in the next two or three months including my big birthday show where I'm reuniting a, the band I played in for about 15 years so I'm back. Well, tell us about and, that. Uh, Do you want to share that with our listeners? Sure. About the big show. It's up in Philadelphia on December 6th. And uh, it's going to, the band I was in was called David's Foot. And uh, that was, you know, they, <laughs> I am certainly the only performer who probably will not be drinking that night. And that's something we should <laughs> definitely talk about tonight. Uh, because I usually am the only sober <laughs> performer when I'm playing with other people, uh, <clears throat> which is kind of funny. But anyway, December 6th at a place called Club Ruba in Philadelphia, uh, which is in the Northern Liberty section of Philadelphia downtown. Um, and I could, I actually have a Facebook, which is Scott Michaels Music. Um, but I, it's funny, I don't have much music connected to it because I'm just getting that part back together, you know, re-recording stuff. But... Um, yeah, December 6th, Philadelphia. That's great. But, uh, yeah. That's awesome. 
Well, let's let's talk about that. What it's like to be surrounded by alcohol, because I'm a musician as well. This is Jean, and that was one thing that I found really after I got sober. I I found it very hard to perform, and I perform very little. I I say I mostly sing at funerals now because I I find it very hard to be in that drinking environment. And um, how do you find it, Scott? How do you cope with that? Well, it's funny. Uh, first of all. I I just so much of my social culture and my friends um all drink and it's just a part of what they do so I kind of uh you know luckily I I for me sobriety has been so rewarding uh and such an opposite way and so much light that I don't get the temptation um so much to drink uh very often anymore and uh, so going in, I feel lucky because I know other people really can't even be around alcohol. They can't be around a drinking situation, but I'm kind of used to that. <laughs> and then I drink coffee uh, at a, probably an unhealthy uh, rate. And what's interesting about performing is <clears throat> I kind of find my little nook on the stage and I'll have iced coffee there. And, you know, the the stage definitely for me, it provides me a section where I feel like, first of all, I'm, I'm working, so I feel more responsible to the audience being sober now. Um, but I do have that kind of buffer of the microphone stand and stuff to uh, to basically not have to deal with the alcohol. And then I get really into the playing. My playing has just finally come back. I mean, I, alcohol destroyed my abilities. I couldn't remember songs that I had written. couldn't even get through them. Uh, technically, I had trouble. And so I, for a while, the reason why I couldn't even book a show is because I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to actually play a, a show, uh, which is just crazy to think. And so, uh, so uh, yeah, anyway, I had this buffer up there, and it's funny because a couple of things. One is that I noticed a lot of people buy me drinks or, or want to buy me drinks. And uh, that never happened when I was drinking. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> for some reason, maybe I was disgusting and <laughs> up there. They knew uh, you had enough. But for some reason, <laughs> maybe that's true. They all knew that I had enough, right. But uh, I, I get offered drinks all the time, and it's very funny because now it's a common thing. There's this one place that I play every month, and uh, I sit right next to the bar. And the bartender knows me, and he, when I walk in, he sets up an iced coffee and such. And uh, there's just this, a usual thing that happens now where I can see someone's face saying, What? No! No, yeah. you didn't drink? <laughs> coffee? Totally coffee? And then, you know, usually about 20 minutes later, they come up to me in a conversation like, is it true, bud, that you ain't drinking up there? And because, uh, I, of course, with the coffee and my natural performance, you could probably hear my energy on the phone right now. I'm still, <laughs> I pop around on the stage, and so uh, it's quite shocking to people that I'm not drinking. Uh, but what's funny about it is that when I'm playing with other people who are drinking something that I've noticed uh, is tempo-wise, I will be locked into something and, and you know, maybe feel that they're dragging or something like that. So as the night goes on, it gets difficult. And there is part of me who has to understand that I'm playing with a whole bunch of people who 
are drinking and and a crowd that's drinking and that as the music gets a little sloppier, it's okay with everybody else. But it's really been a, an eye opener as far as being in, in quote unquote bar bands. Um, what, what's really being played, uh, you know, by, by 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning. So Scott, you play guitar and you sing, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you play lead guitar or bass? Uh, or? Yeah. I, I have a, a guitarist who I play with often, um, and we kind of switch back and forth. But and I also do um, some solo stuff where it's just me and the guitar. So now my experience as a musician is that I, I'm a performing songwriter, and so I write really personal songs, and I go on stage and basically bare my soul for the audience. And um, that I don't know if you find this, but I, I have found that it's an incredibly uh, nerve-wracking experience to be alone on a stage. I mean, even for someone who does it a lot, because there is no room for air. I mean, you can't hide behind any other instruments. It's it's you, your guitar, and the microphone. And so I've always found that to be, um, you know, a lot of pressure and a really amazing experience once you get going, because you can really connect with people. But do you find it different? Do you find it easier playing with the band, or do you prefer to play on your own, or what? What's that experience like for you? Uh, the, the, it, it's funny. I really uh, kind of bring a different attitude uh, to whatever the scenario is. Uh, so sometimes when I'm playing with a band, it's it's if I'm playing in a bar band in a bar type show. You know, it's funny. I have I'm a I have really personal songs. Although a lot of my personal songs are kind of like written as kind of messages that are directed towards me, but uh, they're more outward. Um, so I guess it's kind of a little mask in it. Uh, but you know, if I'm playing somewhere where people are coming to see me as Scott Michaels playing acoustic, uh, I will be playing mostly original stuff and. There's also some somewhat of humor in a lot of what I do, and I I have a really uh, I've learned to just kind of you know what it is it's it's Maya Angelou uh, that great quote that she has which says um, they won't remember the words you say they'll remember the way you made them feel mm-hmm. so I've really started to incorporate that into performance and so what I really try to do is create a feeling of an experience and so. When I'm playing my own stuff, I really do try to create this awesome space. And uh, that is probably, playing original music is my favorite of all. Uh, However, I mostly get paid as a musician to play as a bar band where I'm entertaining people who are coming out to hear music that they're familiar with. And so in that sense, uh, I don't, I don't hold myself, my my pretentious music, I just put that on the side because I know (laughs) if I put that out, you know, that's when I, I guess I kind of cheat in that sense where I I hide, you know, my my more truer heart in those scenarios, expecting that they would be like, hey, Bobby, like, free bird, please. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But then there's some pressure there, too, because people want to hear the songs they're familiar with played the way that they know them, right? They don't want you to get creative on them and and play your own little spin on it. They want it to sound familiar. So does that feel 
like pressure to you? Well, that's where I'm really guilty of just I, I give them what they want <laughs> as close to what they want as they can. I'll pro- pull them up on stage if I'm not doing it right and say, sing with me. <laughs> <You> know, <so. laughs> I, I am, uh, yes, I, I sell out very often when it comes to that style of music. Um, but when but I'm that, playing you know, by myself, job, it, right? it, it held a different standard. Yeah, exa- that's kind of how I look at it. You know, I yeah. feel like in that scenario, on a Friday or Saturday night at at, at eleven thirty at night, I am there to play whatever they want, and and uh, if I, you know, yeah, it's it's just that's my job that night. And, you know, that's that's yeah. something I would always ask when I was booking a show: is okay, what am I here to do? Am I background music or am I the entertainment? And my preference has always been what I call a soft seat venue, where the I am on the stage and I have their full attention. I can tell them stories. I can win them over and tell them a story of a song and then play them that song. And I, it's, it, it, you know, you see people wipe a tear or you see them sort of twig in and share an emotion. And it's a really beautiful thing, but it takes a ton of energy. And yeah. um, I have found in sobriety, and I think it's because sobriety has been such an emotional journey for me, that I just don't quite feel safe doing that yet. I don't feel like I quite know myself well enough to sit down and, you know, get emotionally naked with 500 people is, is you know, a hard thing to do. <laughs> yeah. So I pull away from wow. it. But I, don't, I think people don't often draw the distinction that there is a big difference for a musician, whether there's a focus of attention or whether they're sort of the background or whether they're there to create an atmosphere so that people loosen up and dance or spend a lot of money at the bar or to be, you know, very somber and create a, a quieter mood. I mean, well, there's, you go in with a job, too, yeah. right? Yeah. And exactly. But what's what's funny, though, is uh, for, for me, my the first gig back that I actually played after about a year of sobriety, um, it was just an acoustic, me and acoustic, all original show. And it was like a 45 minute or an hour long set. And that was the, it was the best, maybe the best, most special gig of my entire life. And it was a small bar, small crowd, not many people there. But um, by the uh, couple songs in, it was that, what you're, what you're describing, where you could hear like a pin drop and, and we were all there, like hearing these stories. And a lot of this, the songs, a lot of were about this kind of stuff. And you know, it's funny. A lot of my songs are, as I kind of said earlier, like messages to me. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, a handful of either directly about addiction or indirectly about me not, you know, doing what I need to be doing and, and like, you know, mm-hmm. being stuck in habits. And it's just so funny. It was like I was preaching to myself through songs. So that one first show, and and, and you know what? I'm so glad we're having this bubble hour here because uh, what I'm learning is that I have been back on stage playing a lot more, but I haven't been doing what you're talking about as much. And uh, I did do it that first night and for another show after that. But, uh, wow, that, that was... It was a special thing to do that without having the blanket of booze. Or, And you know what's the other thing is, looking back on that show, um, first of all, I can remember it so clearly. 
um, having control of the whole show uh, every moment. And whenever I played solo before then, I would let do that, like get that nice heavy buzz on and let the moment take me. And it was so nice to kind of, uh, you know, look back and say I kind of crafted that, you know, more like a master instead of someone going in like a woohoo. Uh, yeah. So it's funny. So I, maybe I it was never the booze that, that took you there. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Pardon me? And you're having an epiphany right here on the bubble hour. <laughs> I, I am. The, the bubble, I just popped a bubble right here on the bubble hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scott, you're you saying that thinking, you. Go ahead, Catherine. I was just, you know, I'm struck by a couple of things that you guys are saying that are, are making me think about reasons that so many of us drank that, like, you know, that perceived blanket of safety, you know, that whether you're you're a musician, a salesperson, a computer technician, you know, whatever it is you do for a living, just this idea of not feeling safe in crowds of people, whether you're going to a party or, you know, your sister's wedding or whatever it is, you know, like not feeling safe without alcohol, that was mm-hmm. that that can be one of those lies that we tell ourselves or even something Scott said before about, he said, you know, I'm an extrovert and you can tell my personality, you know, liveliness on stage. And he said that drinking kind of blocked that, but it's so funny because I think before we get sober, we fear that that will go away without alcohol, meaning that our personalities will go away and that we won't be able to connect with people or I don't know, we won't be likable or something. And, and here, you know, we're hearing you guys talk about that how that can evolve. Definitely. Yeah. And well, I, what's I funny think... about that blanket? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Scott. No, I was just going to say that the the blanket. What I've learned is uh, it keeps away the true experiencing the true moment of art as it is, and so like right. you know that blanket might might make you get up on stage a little bit easier, but these sober moments where I had on stage um, after I came back where it was where it was an emotional moment, it was so valid and a deeper experience without that same blanket. So the blanket's the curse and the blessing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Scott and I had very different experiences because Scott's talking about drinking before he went on stage and I would never drink before I went on stage. I, I, I would use alcohol afterwards to help me ride out the adrenaline aftershock. So, you know, after you have a big adrenaline rush, which I would have for a couple hours on stage, I would come off stage and I'd be literally shaking, um, like shaking hard and, um, uh, you know, just really experiencing the, the, the after effects of, of, uh, long exposure to adrenaline. And so and, I would use alcohol as a depressant to bring me down from that and to help me calm down. And usually after you get off the stage, everyone wants to come and talk to you or maybe, you know, they felt like, wow, you just seem so nice on the stage. But what they don't realize is that I turn into like this very introspective person for a little while afterwards. And so I would always feel really bad that I wouldn't feel particularly friendly or social even though I'd just been really friendly on the stage, and they, they felt like we connected this bond, but if they came to talk to me afterwards, that was very hard for me. So alcohol kind of helped me quickly shift gears so that I could 
connect on another level with people, which is for me as a I'm more of an introvert, believe it or not, in person at least. So um, I, I would use it to sort of get me over that hump to switch from performer to human being, and um, and that was I could I I had the hardest time after I quit drinking, not getting up on the stage again so much as as dealing with the after effects. And that's one of the main reasons why I don't perform very much at all anymore. It's because and Jean, of that. can I tell the story of, of the, the video that we were talking yeah. about in prep? Yeah, show? yeah. So when when we were preparing for this show, Jean shared a video with us of her performing before she got sober. And I was just sharing before we got on the line here that it was such a humbling lesson for me in why we shouldn't compare our insides to another person's outsides because if I had seen that video just without knowing anything about Jean or her story, I would have said, wow, I would have been really intimidated because it was like, wow, here's this woman is just like, so talented and easy on the stage and, you know, singing and banter and just looking beautiful and, you know, it was a really impressive performance. And yet I knew some of what was going on inside for Jean as I watched it. And I really thought, wow, that just goes to show you, you know, you can't compare your insides to someone else's outsides because you just never know. No, that that performance that you saw the video of, I had spent probably six hours before I took that stage in my room going over every single moment of that show, which was probably about, altogether, it was probably about an hour-long performance. And I, <clears throat> at that particular event, I was the MC for a very large black tie um, gala, and uh, there was, I don't know, 600 or so people in, in this room. I mean, it was a very high-end event. And um, I I was a wreck. I was just sweating bullets and on the verge of vomiting. Um, I was just such a wreck. And I, But I, that was part of the preparation for me. It was just so much anxiety before I went on stage. And then, of course, I went up there, nailed it, did a great show, um, you know, had all kinds of positive uh feedback from it and Catherine you saw the evidence you know I fooled everyone mm-hmm. I looked like I had mm-hmm. it together and and uh you know then I remember as soon as I was done like there was wine on my table and of course this is awful we do this to performers at these at these events you know we sit them in the front and feed them well, you don't want to eat at least I didn't want to eat before I went on stage and I certainly wouldn't even have a sip of alcohol but man the moment it was over I just remember there was a bottle of wine on the table and I just plopped it in front of myself and just, you know, started started taking the edge off. <laughs> and, you know, I don't miss that. I, I miss the fun of being on stage because once you're up there, it is really fun. But the anxiety beforehand and then the come down afterwards was just really, really hard for me. So there is a big disconnect between what we see and what's really going on. I think. Scott, do you find that? Do you feel that people see you differently than than how you really are or how you feel you are? Oh, uh, 100%. When, when they all think that I'm a wasted guy up there on stage and, <laughs> and then realize that I'm the most sober person, the only sober person in the mm-hmm. entire room. Yeah. Well, 
let's shift gears a little I think bit. It's, it's interesting that uh, it is such a difference. We had our relationship with performance and alcohol, like because for me the uh, the more of the challenge was can I perform without having had the buzz. Uh, because I always performed with uh, alcohol buzz, and, and uh, so it's just funny that how different that was. But I, I, I would hope, I think that the listeners here probably are all in between the spectrum of those two uh, kind of personalities. Mm-hmm. And, See, and I have a, this right is Amanda. Oops, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I Amanda? just had a question. So you, um, did, with all your anxiety and prepping for the show, after you were done, and of course, you know, with the anxiety winding down and grabbing the wine, I understand that part. But how did did you did you come away feeling good about your performance? Or um, um, I'm just curious about that because you know we I we think, we tend to beat ourselves up and never think we're good enough, no matter what we do. I would be asking, I would say to my husband, you know, is it going okay? Did I do good? Did I do good? Did I do well, I should say? And um, and I would really soak up the validation, you know, from people around me. And But it wasn't until I saw a video of it, which was sent to me the next day, because nowadays when you do a, a big show, you know, there's screens around the room so that everyone can see you. So all of that was recorded by the camera people that were doing that. So it wasn't until I saw with my own eyes. And you know what? I couldn't believe it. I I couldn't believe that that woman I was watching perform was the same person that I was, that I felt I was on stage, you know. So in some way I kind of intellectualized that I'd done well. I knew I'd done the job I came there to do. But I really didn't feel good about it until I had locked it down that it was pretty near perfect. But here's the thing. I wasn't, I, I think for me performing music was, and this relates to, this This will bring us back around to the bigger topic of, of just being up in front of people. For me, my addiction, perfectionism, anxiety, all of that was really wrapped up in anything I did I had to overdo. So, you know, I couldn't just volunteer for an organization. I had to be president of the organization and take it to its top fundraising year for the last hundred years, you know. <laughs> and yeah. I couldn't just play my guitar and write music. I had to record albums and tour and promote it to the radio. And 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 I kind of realized, like, whether it was that or, you know, I couldn't just lose five pounds. I had to lose as much as I possibly could. Anything I did, I was overdoing because I was never happy with anything because, I, was, I wasn't happy, right, period. And so for me, recovery was about getting back to accepting myself and not needing to, like, just not even, I mean, if, it was, if we were using a football analogy, I wouldn't even just be trying to organize a touchdown. I'd be, like, trying to run five miles away from the whole stadium with the ball. Like, I was just, it was out of this world. Anything I was doing, I was shooting for the moon. And nothing less would do, and then I wouldn't enjoy it when I got there. So to me, when I look back now, I couldn't see it at the time. Oh, this is emotional. But now I really I really see it as an extension of just a very, very deep dissatisfaction and and um, feeling of inadequacy about myself. And that resonated through everything I did. And yeah. thank God for recovery because... You know, now I'm I'm healing myself, and so now I say no to things that don't that don't seem like they're a good fit, or if I feel like I'm doing it for the wrong reason. So, 
actually, this is what I want to bring this discussion back to because both Scott and I were saying we, we would know before we would go to a show, we're here to do a job. What's the job? What am I here to do? And now that's what I ask myself before anything. And we're going to talk about speeches and talking for work and stuff. But I think that that is really at the heart of how we approach things in recovery, too, is, okay, what am I here to do? As Catherine says, what is true, what is real? Um, and we approach things from that perspective. But, Amanda, I want to bring you in and talk a little bit about some of the speaking you've done for work, some of the speaking you've done for recovery. How did you feel about speaking and being in front of an audience when you were drinking versus now in sobriety? Um, well, a, a, a couple of things. Well, one thing Scott brought up that I think um, was I really could relate to is, um, I, um, for example, anything, um, dancing. I love to dance. I mean, um, it's one of my favorite things to do, always has been since I was a little kid. And I used to always, you know, always pregame and to go out dancing. And pre-game I thought meaning that you I would drink beforehand? Drink ahead of time. Before I even got yeah. to the bar, I would have a cup, you know. And, and that, you know, and then I'd get out and I would dance and I would dance all night long and who care if I, you know, if I fell on the floor or whatever. And um, I'll never forget the first time. I got up, uh, I went dancing when I was sober, and I was, you know, I was afraid going there, like, oh, my God, I, I probably can't dance or, or whatever, and it was the best experience ever, and um, it, because I was like, wow, I can dance, I'm not embarrassed, uh, you know, I'm not shy, I'm, I'm having a blast, and so I guess um, what, what I was trying to get at is I used to think that I needed to drink to do something where I was in front of people because I was a very shy kid. No one believes that, but I was a very shy kid. <laughs> and, um, and, and, but then what I found in sobriety is I, I'm actually more confident. I'm more comfortable because I'm not falling on the floor. And, um, you know, I can just go out there and be myself and have fun. Like I'm, I'm, I'm most mostly not I still have plenty of work to do on this, but I'm mostly comfortable with myself, and especially you know, I guess when it comes to that because I'm not a bad dancer but um as as far as so i just I just wanted to mention that because I used to think I needed alcohol to have fun and or to to dance or to be do anything in front of people, and like you said too, Jean, to also come down um mm-hmm. most of my at work. Most of the times we have training once a month, and you know I've, I've had occasions where I have to speak in front of our, you know, in front of the whole company, and but we have we have beer right after, and so I would do it. I would hate doing it. I would avoid it like the plague. I would ask if I could sit in the back of the room. You know, I have no no problem um, if I'm not in front of people and I know what I'm talking about. Um, I wouldn't have any problem, but um, if I had to stand in front of the room and I was reading a prepared speech, I was a mess, an absolute mess. And you know, I never drank before I did that, but I, you know, I I knew what I, I was going to be able to drink after, and that, and I would drink plenty after. Mm-hmm. Um, but to in reward yourself, recovery, right? Yeah, exactly. To re- and just to settle down. Um, but in recovery, it's it's really different. You know, I, I do attend meetings, and um, in meetings you're often asked to speak in front of a room, and that can be 100 people or 200 people, and 
Um, I do that with absolutely no problem whatsoever, and I don't, you know, I I don't understand why. Um, part of it, I think, is because I know what I'm talking about because I'm just telling my story. So there's, no, you know, I can't get nervous about saying the wrong thing because it's my truth. And it's, I don't know. I, I, and I have not yet had to speak in front of, besides like doing training, which is, you know, in the back of the room, so I'm, I can do that. Um, I haven't had to speak in front of my whole company since I've gotten sober, but I'm actually probably going to have to do that pretty soon. So I'm really interested to see how I will be. Um, I'm, less, I'm less fearful about doing it. I'm like, oh, I do this all the time. Um, but but I, I don't know how it will be for me. At this, well, you have to um, report back to point. us. I will. How about I will. you, Catherine? Catherine, what's your experience like before and after in speaking? Yeah, so I, I will say that my my job, I work in a, a corporate job, and that has me doing quite a bit of speaking at conferences and events. Um, I do a fair bit of media um, on camera and just nothing exciting. It's all corporate (laughs) stuff. You do it very well. I've seen evidence of it, and you're very professional. (laughs) Thanks. A video that I showed you was conveniently of me after I was sober, Um, (laughs) after I got sober. Mm. But you know, first thing, you know, something that Scott said at the beginning really, really struck me that, you know, drinking, he said, drinking kept me from doing what I'm meant to do, which, mm. you know, in Scott's case is, is sing and perform. And I, and I think in my case actually does have a lot to do with speaking in front of people. It's actually something that comes really easily to me. I know that that's... um uh, I'm in a small minority of the population, but I, it doesn't make me nervous, um, and I'm I'm pretty good at it. So that wasn't necessarily my problem. I will say that I would never drink beforehand because no matter what the event was and what time in the event I was speaking because I didn't trust the outcome. So that was just something in general, particularly as my alcoholism progressed, that I just didn't know if I had one drink if I would end up falling down or if I could have 10 drinks and be perfectly lucid. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to several months before I got sober, I was invited to speak to a bunch of the muckety mucks at my company and some, you know, big time clients. And it was sort of a big deal that I was invited to speak because somebody of my level wasn't necessarily, it wasn't common to have somebody of my level lower than them, right, um, speaking. And everybody's out late drinking the night before, including me, and I had to be at the session at 9 in the morning and I was speaking at 11. And I remember it was like, you know, 5 to 9. And I think I was still drunk, quite honestly. And I was like coming down like bombing down the hallway trying to get to the room and drinking coffee and but not really wanting to eat and then by the time 11 came I was hung over and I know that I did a good job because I was prepared and like kind of on autopilot but my memory of the event was I remember having like cotton mouth and being really disconnected like I was outside of my body and sort of thinking like am I 
making sense? Like, am I saying the right thing? And I was because it was a presentation I knew very well, and, and that was okay. But that sort of freaked me out because I wasn't quite in my body. Um, whereas now, and the way things have progressed in the two and a half years that I've been sober, and no coincidence, I don't think, at my job is that more and more of this stuff has come up. And um, I've had to speak at some fairly high pressure kind of situations and with, you know, pretty high level people and just feeling really confident because I'm not hungover. It's like if I have to speak at the business session in front of the CEO at eight in the morning, like I can do it because I'm not hungover. I'm ready for action. And I just know that I can be really good. And, um, it's funny going back to the idea of, you know, what I'm meant to do. I actually have this feeling that the universe is somehow prepping me for something, you know, something more of a personal contribution around all of this stuff, similar to, you know, the vein of what we do on the bubble hour. I don't know what that means. And maybe it's, maybe that's nothing, but, um, so this is all kind of training, but, The last thing I'll say is that, you know, Amanda mentioned speaking at meetings, and I have to say that I think for me that I don't have – well, no, I was going to say I don't have trouble speaking about meetings. That's not true. Um, I actually struggled quite a bit at first and just sort of forced myself to so that people would get to know me. But one thing that I've noticed is that I think it's hard for me to be authentic um, I think I'm being authentic, but but then really in hindsight, it's like, am I really, really, some, when somebody told me, you know, at meetings you should speak from the deepest part of your soul, that actually made me angry. <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, in front of 100 people, I can just be sort of a bit of a showman and, you know, I don't know, convey a message, but you don't necessarily have to get to know the real me. So that's something that I think I'm learning in sobriety is to, is to how to be vulnerable and show a more authentic side of myself. So that was just the other thing that came to mind. I think that's a fantastic point, Catherine, because Scott mentioned to it too about the barrier of being on the stage. And for me, I really love that barrier of a podium and a microphone or my guitar and a microphone because it keeps them away from me, right? <laughs> I'm in control of this. It's not even a conversation. I'm, I am imparting my wisdom to you. And, and so I can be as prepared as I want because um, I'm, I'm in control of that. For me, what's really hard is, as you said, being completely authentic and vulnerable. And, and that's why I find the face-to-face more difficult because I don't know what the person is going to say to me. I don't know. I can't plan my response if I don't know what's going to be said. And I I think in the end, now as a presenter, as I said, I don't, I don't perform as much as I used to, but I feel now for sure as a speaker, because I'm more self-accepting, I'm, I'm less focused on being utterly perfect and beyond criticism. So I'm actually welcoming that audience into my dialogue or I'm, I'm 
really thinking about what's my purpose in being here and why am I giving this speech and how am I trying to connect to people and I'm really much more interested in how the audience is doing than how I'm doing. So I think that being a a more authentic whole, like taking off some of the armor, right, and -hmm. and just really being okay if it's not perfect. That's okay with me, whereas before that was definitely not okay. So I'm curious to hear from each of you. Do you think that without alcohol, do you think you're better or worse at the microphone? Scott, what do you say? Well, this is really funny because as I'm listening to everything, I, I realize that I have I could completely come at this conversation from two different personalities, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people can relate. So on the stage with music, I could drink beforehand, but what would happen is I would be drinking beforehand uh, at a concert, and then the next day I have to give a presentation for my day job, which I could never uh. do beforehand. <laughs> And so the thing is, is I have the whole opposite stories to talk about where I would, uh, you know, for for me, presenting at work, which was sometimes in front of really important people, um, I would be sober, but as Catherine was talking about, uh, disconnected and not there, not able to be as sharp on my feet. And I thought I was, you know, until I realized Mm -hmm. when I was sober how sharp I could actually be. Uh, but the other thing is I was, uh, a sweater. <laughs> so like something mm-hmm. would start to go wrong, like, or like the, the PowerPoint, you know, I would always, of course, be a little hungover, a little late, a little groggy. So any little thing that goes wrong, like setting up the PowerPoint or whatever, then the sweat starts coming. And then another thing <laughs> that I just realized as I'm listening to everything is always in the back of my mind as a drinker. And this is one of the best parts of not being a drinker anymore is the oh my god they know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah really. so so many times as i'm like i'm sweating you know working for the state for the juvenile justice like setting up stuff in front of chief judges and stuff like that sweating and, and i'm thinking oh they know i'm sweating because i'm hung over because i was drunk and i'm working with kids and blah blah blah, blah, blah and my madness right. would go crazy and then I'm sitting there talking about, like, and as I'm working with the kids talking about like, getting off of alcohol, and I'm thinking in my head, in my brain, it's they know. They know that I'm just full of crap, and this is just, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so what's so funny is one of the best things that now when I present, I am so relaxed because I, I can be goofy, and it's not like, hey, that's the drunk, goofy guy. It's, wow, he's he's just... He's goofy. He's just goofy. Uh, but I don't have to ever worry about them thinking and that I'm a drinker. And another funny thing that happened is um, I realize sometimes in the more passion-speaking type engagements I have, because uh, I do speak about and with youth and, and stuff about people changing and stuff, it, it often does just at least in one sentence come up that I'm a recovering alcoholic. And uh, I had a really funny thing. I was at a sex ed conference and uh, did this whole speech. I was just joking about this with someone earlier today. You know, an hour and a half speech on something. And afterwards, someone came up to me and said, like, I really enjoyed it, but I I heard you say that you stopped drinking. And I just wanted to say, like, so did I. And and it was just a funny connection. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, as far as speaking and playing, to answer the original question that I just totally jumped all over, um, I am a billion times better sober. 
uh, and I'm just clear headed. My technical skills are better. I'm better on my feet improvising, whether it's music or speech. And, uh, and I'm more present as to what I'm again, as to, I think Jeannie was saying, uh, as to what I'm there to be doing. So instead of thinking, Oh my God, they, they know I'm an alcoholic. I'm thinking exactly what it is I'm talking about, which makes the performance that much better. So, Scott, what's your top tip for people that are facing an upcoming speech or presentation and they're nervous about it? What would be your best advice to them? Uh, for me, it's just preparation. And uh, that's as, as an alcoholic, um, you know, I would prepare for – you know, go go down into my basement to prepare for something for hoping to do it for two hours and then a half an hour in I would just kind of get bored and blah 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 and so you know as long as you're prepared and you can hopefully rely on on your skills uh, that you, you just need to go with it and um, and just you know the confidence that it is your authentic self performing so whatever lauds you get or criticism you get. Um, you can be rewarded for it or know that it's something that you legitimately need to work on instead of, you know, believing it's some kind of magical substance either causing or stopping either of it. Fantastic. Amanda, how about you? Do you are you a better speaker or not so much now that you're sober? How would you rate yourself? I think I'm a better speaker. I mean, I'm certainly comfortable when I'm in the recovery world, and so that's just it's something that I'm very comfortable with and I'm comfortable talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I am more confident even, you know, like I said, I haven't had to stand in front up in front of my whole company, but um, even when with all the different trainings that I do, I'm, I'm confident that, you know, I, I know my stuff and, you know, I'm on my game. And... Um, But it's interesting because all of you talk about prep, and this is something actually the three of us have talked about before. I'm a wing it girl um, for the most part. And so it is different. I guess it's it's different for for me. Um, Well, obviously when you're doing training, you're preparing, but, you know, I guess, you know, that's something I would still, you know, when I'm reading something or, you know, something's really scripted, you know, I'm, I am I get very anxious and nervous. Um, and so it, it will it will be very interesting to see how things so, are. Amanda, you like to wing it, but do you think about it ahead of time? Like, do you kind of go oh, in yeah. your mind? Yeah. So you, you don't like to read it off the page, but you like, you prepare mentally for it, right? I do, I do, and mm-hmm. it just depends on what it is. Like, you know, well, I, I mean, even just, um, you know, with the bubble hour, I, I think about it, and I guess it's, a, uh, well, the same thing goes when you go to, um, when you go to share at a meeting. I always, you know, you get down, and I'm like, oh, I didn't say anything I wanted to say. Sometimes I don't think about it too much because then I don't, <laughs> I don't say what I want to say. Um, or it doesn't come naturally, I guess, because I, I do like to speak from the heart. Um, that's that's where I'm comfortable. And I, for some whatever reason, I've always been extremely um, vulnerable. I've always let myself be extremely vulnerable. It was just how I was raised. So that came natural to me in recovery. So that, that part's easier for me. Um, I don't know that I'm making any <laughs> any sense. But no, I, well, you here's are. an example. 
the bubble hour. So even just doing that, I'm I'm a host by accident. Um, Lisa and Ellie created the show, and Ellie's my best friend, and she needed someone to fill in on the very first show. And so I was on as a guest, and I had no problem doing that, and I was just sharing my experience with a particular topic, and I had no problem doing that. And then as then I was in the background. I was, you know, the call screener, but we don't really get any calls, but I was on every show just in the background. And then Ellie's like, you will, you will host one day. You're going to host. We need a third host. You're going to host. You're going to host. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't do that. I'm a background player. And um, I finally, I said, fine, I'll do it. Because, you know, it, 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 I just did. And um, it's not my, it's not my comfort zone. Um, I feel that I say um a million times. I feel like I don't make sense because I don't always, I go in circles in my head sometimes. And, um, but I do it anyways. So I guess that's a difference that for me too is with when it comes to helping people and recovery sometimes, even though it, it does, I guess it does scare me. I just do it anyways because, you know, I know that Someone can maybe even relate to the fact that I I sound nervous. It, uh, so, and and I've listened. I don't listen to the shows because I I can't. <laughs> and um, but you know the ones that I have listened in on, I don't sound nearly as awful. That's why I kind of why I asked you that question too. Is I don't sound in my head the way I sound is awful. And I don't sound as much like an idiot as I think I sound like when I, you know, when I do listen. You are so hard <laughs> on yourself. I think I what our listeners love about you is that you you speak from the heart, and it, even though it is hard for you, you care enough about people to to do this and to share with them. And I think that that goes so far. I mean, that means so much that you do that. And if I were this show across is the country, I'd be people. hugging you. Yeah, it's real people telling real stories of addiction and recovery. Well, I mean, you're real. That's right. And well, that's actually one thing I wanted to say is that I've heard from all all three of you and myself, and um, is and that's that's that, I mean that is what I do. I just get get on the show and get over my bad self. Like you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do the best mm-hmm. I can, and that's it. And, you know, the different pieces of what each of you have said um, about when speaking when you were drinking and the change that, you know, just listening to the show is before it was more you were worried about yourself. And, you know, it was a very, you know, and we talk about that, like when we're drinking, we're very self-centered. And then, at you know, once you got sober, it's more about the audience, like you've... There's there's a shift in how you all of you have talked about performing before and after getting sober. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. Like and it it yeah. really comes down to like that self-centered fear. Um so I this has really been an interesting show. Um how about you Catherine? Do you have any tips for people that are sober and are having to take the take the mic? Yeah, well, you know, for for people who have listened to the show before, they'll know, they'll be familiar with some of these items, but I guess the the lessons of recovery just kind of keep repeating themselves for me. And so the first thing is my tried and true question of, is that true? So if right. I think to myself, like, 
I can't do this sober. Is that true? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't be at this work event, wedding, social occasion, whatever it is, surrounded by people who are drinking and I'm the only sober one. Is that true? No. You know, like any of those kind of things that we tell ourselves, that I've said this before a million times, so just asking myself that question, it gets me over my bad self, you know? And then <laughs> as as you guys know, you know, I'm always talking about that I'm a spiritual seeker. So for me, in the battle of ego versus higher power, my ego puts up a big fight, <laughs> but higher power <laughs> always wins. So, you know, this isn't part of everybody's recovery journey, but it's a big part of mine um, that, you know, letting go of the need to be perfect, um, letting go of, you know, Gene, you, you so powerfully described that deep dissatisfaction, you know, at the core of ourselves, like, just saying, is that true? Am I really that bad? No. So turning that over and letting go of the ego and, you know, for me, asking my higher power and, and I do a whole lot of praying and all that stuff, um, I actually do that now. That's, that is part of my, you know, taking my responsibility to the audience that when I step in front of a big crowd, I always say a little prayer like, let me let me, you know, deliver this message in a way that will be of, you know, maximum usefulness to these people. Um, you know, let m- my presence here resonate for them. Um, and then it just, I can kind of get over myself and let it go and, and, and you know, turn it over to higher power. So to the extent that that resonates with people, I mean, that's that's my true advice because that's what I do. And am I better now? I mean, before I was astrally projected all the time. I just was walking around with like, you know, <laughs> on the cloud somewhere. Like, And so, you know, actually being inside of my body it amazingly <laughs> makes me a better <laughs> performer of, of all kinds of, you know, life tasks. Right. So, you know what I'm hearing you say in, in the way you describe, um, clue, like, um, plugging into a purpose as you get up on the stage um, versus, oh, my gosh, I'm nervous. How am I going to look? What if I screw up? What are people going to think of me? But really plugging into that purpose of let me do what I'm here to do, whether that's, you know, my the bride, whether it's to, to give her this gift of, you know, these encouraging words at her wedding or to deliver a useful message at a message, useful message, useful message at a work function, um, whatever our purpose is, to really plug into that. And you know what that is? That's service, right? It's Mm -hmm. let me be of service in what I'm doing here. I'm offering myself up. I'm offering up even my fear. I'm offering it up as service right now. And so if if we can keep that in mind, for me, that really helps me stay grounded and focus. And it takes takes the pressure off of myself as I do that. uh, I also heard Scott say prepare as much as possible, and I agree with that too. One thing I really do, if I'm giving a speech, um, I get quite nervous if I'm going to screw up someone's name. And I think there is nothing worse than pronouncing someone's name wrong. I think it's really, um, 
makes that person feel kind of terrible. So I always make sure if I'm going to have to introduce someone or read a list of names, I take a moment and make sure I know how to pronounce them. And if I don't, I find the person that can help me figure that out. There's usually an event organizer, um, a family member, somebody who knows how to pronounce those names. And I'll write it out phonetically because that helps me um, again, it's being of service, right? It's a kindness to that person whose name you're saying to at least say it correctly. So preparation is key. Um, I also really encourage people to lean on their anxiety relievers, which is very simply breathe. <laughs> it's amazing mm-hmm. how we don't breathe when we're nervous. <laughs> and feel your body. So um, this is something I end up doing a lot. When you're when I'm feeling anxious, it's because I'm worried about the things that haven't happened yet. Is this going to go wrong? Am I going to screw up? Are the lights going to go out? Like, none of that is happening. So if you feel, what do I feel right now? I feel my my um, feet on the floor. I feel my bum in the chair. I feel the phone against my ear. I actually get right back into my body in that moment, take some deep breaths, and feel what I feel. I feel the pencil that's in my hand right now. And that brings me into the moment, and you cannot be in two places at once. So if you're in your body in the moment, it pulls you away from that forward tripping, as we call it, uh, that is anxiety. My final tip for people um, that are nervous, if you're like me and you're not so nervous about taking the mic, but you're nervous about the one-on-one afterwards, um, what I have learned, again, another gift of recovery, is to be prepared to listen to people. And if you focus less on having the perfect answer for them and instead focus on really at figuring out what are they asking and what do they need and what's their story, because most people that come up to talk to you don't really care. They just listen to you talk. They, they don't need to hear any more from you. They want to tell you their story. So to learn to listen and be prepared to listen, and if you focus on that, that, again, takes the pressure off you as feeling like you have to have all the answers. So those it's are another my top tips. Service. It is another form of service, yeah, mm-hmm. and just being a good human being. And again, we really we get isolated in addiction. We get really focused on ourselves and really egotistical and think it's all about us. It's not. Make it about everyone else, and it becomes so much easier. So we have uh, just a couple moments before we go off the air here. I just want to go around and see who has some final words for us. Scott, any parting words on this topic? Uh <clears throat> Yeah, first of all, I thanks for having me again. Uh, but I just had, I came out of this with so much more than I thought I would in, in different aspects. And I think the real thing that was just said, and I, I'm not sure if it was Amanda who said it, but what an epiphany that it went from us thinking and it being about ourselves to it being about other people or it mm-hmm. being about the subject of the art or, or whatever, you know, the person's wedding we're at, you know, being in the moment and being of service, like that, that just blew my mind. And I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of the night. I think uh, about how profound that is that, you know, that, you know, I'm someone who in a lot of my new work is all about, um, service, but also f- focusing outwards. And I just never realized that in performance in its truest sense is not so egotistical because it is you thinking about what you're delivering to people. And so that was a big aha moment for me. So another bubble hour explosion. Honey's <laughs> 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 worth tonight, Mr. Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, you guys should sample that sound for for later when people have it. You go, our explosion. That's a sound clip. Oh God, Amanda, can you isolate that sound clip right there? I'm gonna try. Oh, hilarious. Okay, tough ads to follow, but Amanda, do you have any parting thoughts for us? Oh, my God, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, ask Catherine. uh, Let me say, I did have something I wanted to say, but I'm... Okay, collect yourself, Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm still going back to something Scott said at the very beginning of the show about, you know, drinking kept me from doing what I'm meant to do what I'm meant to do walking around on this planet. And I'm still, I guess I'm still trying to figure that out to a degree, but I definitely couldn't do it while I was still drinking. I was hiding inside of a bottle of wine and uh, I felt trapped and stuck and completely powerless to do anything about it. And just that made me berate myself for being lazy. And then I would sort of say, I don't care anyway about any of that life stuff. And um, now that I'm sober, you know, the path is sort of appearing one little, one little step at a time. But um, yeah, that, that really resonated with me. So thanks for that, Scott. Really glad to have you back. Wow. Thank you guys. Gals, sorry, you gals. <laughs> Amanda, Amanda, are you I back? did remember. Um, I, I, one thing, um, and it is, um, I think it's really important. With all of these, are pretty big deal. Um, it's one of the top ten fears, and I think it's really important that as people are venturing into getting back into some things that they did when they were drinking, that they're nervous about, that they listen to themselves and that they honor and respect how they feel and um, and, and only do things when they're ready. A lot of times we have this this notion that, um, okay, I stopped drinking and now I go and I just do, I have to do everything exactly as I did before because that's who I was before and I could do it then and I can do it now and I have to hurry up and start doing everything that I used to do um, so that I can be normal again. Well, nor your normal is now different, and I think it's it's important that you know we take time to respect what um, we're capable are capable of and in, ease into things, um, and do things when we're ready. Because you know, one thing it is a huge fear, and and it it can trigger someone to want to drink, and you know, and we're trying to avoid that. So I think it's just really important to you know go with your gut, listen to yourself. And um, only you know, and, and do things as you're ready to do them. Not not to say that you know we shouldn't take chances in life and and stretch ourselves, but you know, give yourself some time on that too. Mm-hmm. Amanda, I'm so glad that you remembered you wanted to say that because that is the perfect insight for us to end this episode on. I think that is so important. Honor yourself. Listen. Decide whether you should be doing accepting this invitation to speak or not, and really practice good self-care on top of everything else. 
Uh, and by the way, lady, you didn't sound nervous at all. That was clear as a bell and perfectly said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Thank on that, you. We're, I'm gonna <laughs> we're gonna leave you tonight, listeners, with that uh, one final thought. Scott Michael's music is on Facebook. Uh, if you're in the Philadelphia area on December 6, 2014, check out his show at Club Ruba. You said. Club Ruba, yes. Ruba. Which, uh, the website for there is, I believe, um, clubrubastudio.com. I don't know if it's on the listing yet, but it should be soon. Well, fantastic. And keep listening to our show for more of Scott's resonance soundbite. Can you do the bubble bubble explosion? Yes, <laughs> let's do a time? good one. Just uh, okay. bubble hour explosion. Let's have a button, and then when someone has one, we can play that. Oh, I love it. It'll be like the morning shows. Okay, well, with a with a giggle and a sigh, we will leave you tonight. So, as always, we would like to direct you to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org. And there you'll find links to all our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, and my own recovery blog called Unpickled. And if you'd like to go to, directly to the Bubble Hour's website, that's thebubblehour.com. And there you can listen to our shows directly, or you can follow a link and subscribe to our podcast. So thank you all for being on the show tonight. Scott, thanks for making a, uh, an encore appearance with us. And uh, we pleasure. thank all our listeners. And uh, it's just, it's been a fantastic, fantastic conversation. So I hope everyone has a great evening. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night.